Take your Bible with me today, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. As you know, we're studying through 1 Corinthians, and we're in chapter 15, and we've been in chapter 15 like forever. And guess what? Uh, We're going to continue to be maybe in chapter 15 into eternity. Uh, Because every time I think we're going to move more quickly from that point forward, I find something that I have to stop and spend some time on. And it's so incredibly beautiful. I want us to bow our heads together and let's ask the Lord's blessing on our time together. Heavenly Father, we come before you today to study your word. We didn't come to be entertained. We came to worship. Clearly, that's our primary purpose, to bow before you, to acknowledge who you are, what you've done, to give you glory and to give you honor. It's a day to reset our lives, the first day of the week when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and we put things in order for the rest of the week and we prioritize as most important the things that are the things of God. So, Lord, I thank you for everyone who recognizes the significance of what this day is about. And I pray, Lord, that we'll fellowship together, we'll spend time talking to one another, we'll share burdens and prayer requests, we'll have times of rejoicing with each other. Lord, I pray that it'll be a blessed day to have been here. Lord, we're turning our attention to your word. This is the inspired, inerrant, infallible word of the living God. And we are in a chapter dealing with your resurrection and being reminded of the centrality of the resurrection to the entire Christian faith. And I pray, O oh God, that you'll help us to recognize Some of us are trying to get as far away from some of these fundamental doctrines of the faith when we ought to be drawing as close to them as we possibly can and recognizing that the power of God is in these things and the hope that you have for us, it's in these truths. And I pray, Lord, that you'll open them to our minds today. Lord, I I can do some in explaining what's here But, Lord, the Holy Spirit can do what I cannot do. And I pray that he will have liberty in this service to be at work in all of our lives. And, Lord, as you promised the Spirit of God would do, that he'll guide us not just into the Word of God, but he'll guide us to the Son of God, to the Savior. And I'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This past week, Mary and I were invited to speak at a conference. I spoke three times. Mary spoke once at the conference. And we thoroughly enjoyed ourselves. We appreciated the hospitality and the kindness and the opportunity to to be with these dear folks uh, that invited us to come. They put us up at a historic hotel. I had never heard of it before. I did not know where it was, did not know how to find it. It's a few hours away, so it was not something that I'm familiar with. I I can be in our own city and not be familiar with places at times, but this is certainly one of those that I wasn't familiar with. And I did what you do whenever you're going to travel to some destination. 
I put the address into the map system on my phone. You probably have Google Maps or you have Apple Maps, and I, I use Apple Maps, and I put the address into my phone, and then I said, go. And then there's this pleasant voice, other than Mary's, in the car with me, that plays through the car system. And as you're driving along, it says, turn left here and turn right there. Go past this light to the next light. Go to that next stop sign. And, you know, it has all of these incredible directions. And you end up several hours away at this historic hotel in don't even think about where you've gone or how you got there because you just follow the directions that were given to you. And isn't it wonderful to have that GPS? Isn't it incredible uh, to have that, to be able to follow? Because you can go from point A to point B with as little uh, mistake and as little problem as possible. But many of you, probably most of you, remember a time when that didn't exist. And if you were going from one point to another, if you're going to travel from one destination to another, you had to get a map. And you could have a Rand McNally map, a book of those maps of different parts of the country, or you could, as we did, uh, often just get a map of a particular area, particular region, and you know how it did? It unfolded multiple times. You could never fold it back up like it originally was. It just wasn't possible to do that. And you find yourself at a particular spot. It wasn't nearly as specific as telling you your home address and your destination address, but you find that general spot where you are. You find that general spot where you have to go. And then you begin following the map, and you begin looking for the best roads, usually interstates, but looking for the best roads that would take you to that destination in the shortest amount of time. And if you did what we do or did in those days, you know, we'd take the map and fold it all up. And when we folded it all up, I'd give it to my co-pilot, and she would help me stay on that map. And you know what you're doing is you're driving along. Sometimes through some of these smaller areas, you'd see the name of a town, and you'd look on the map. Is that map, is it on the map here? Oh, yeah, this is where we are. You could tell where you, you didn't have the map showing you with a little car on it. You had to look for those little towns, and you'd go from this spot to that spot following that map. What we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in the middle of this chapter that deals with the resurrection is a map. It's not a specific map, not a GPS turn-by-turn kind of a map where you're going to see every detail that you need to have. It's a more general kind of a map where you're going to see where you are and where you need to go and the reason you need to go there, and you're going to see some specifics that bring you from point A to point B. He's going to take you in these opening verses from verse 20 down to verse 29 or 28, from verse 20 down to 28, he's going to take you on a little journey, and that journey is going to lead from the resurrection of Christ all the way to his exaltation. From the moment that Christ rose on that Easter Sunday all the way until the time that he's going to be exalted by all people on all of the planet everywhere. And he's going to give you a couple of highlights 
You're not going to see a lot of the details that you can read, for instance, some of them in the Revelation, some you read in the Old Testament prophets, some you find in Matthew 24, 25. You're not going to see all of those details, but you're going to see some of the high spots of this journey that you're going to be on. We're moving from the resurrection to the exaltation of Jesus Christ. After he does that, in the following verses, down verse 29, down to verse 32, then he reasons with them again, and he says, now, the fact that Christ rose and that Christ is going to be exalted, meaning that you're going to rise one day, if you don't believe that, which there were some in the Corinthian church, apparently, that didn't believe that there was a resurrection, if you don't believe that, then why are you doing these things, and why am I doing this thing? And then when you get to verses 33 and 34, then he gives you an application. So he goes from a roadmap to some reasoning that says, if, if you don't believe in the resurrection, why are you doing what you're doing, and why am I doing what I'm doing, to saying there is a resurrection, Jesus did rise, we are on this journey from his resurrection to his exaltation, and consequently, here are some things you need to remember while you're taking this journey. Here's some practical application that you need to take while you're on this journey. And that's how these verses unfold. And by the time you get to verse 35, he begins answering a question. Well, since there is a resurrection, Jesus did rise, and the believers in Christ are going to one day rise from the grave, then what kind of a body are we going to have in the resurrection? And everybody wants to know the answer to that. You want to know about your loved ones who have passed before you, young and old. You want to know when they come out of the graves, when there is that resurrection day, what kind of a body will we possess in that day? And he begins answering that in verse 35 on down toward the end of the chapter, talking about that body we're going to receive. Now, we're not going to get anywhere near that today. That's going to come in a future message. You don't want to miss that message. When you start listening to what Paul has to say about the future resurrected bodies of our loved ones, I think it's going to thrill your soul. It's going to thrill your heart. Let me tell you the good news before I get to the message for today. You're going to know them, and they're going to know you. You're going to recognize them, and they're going to recognize you. And they'll have a body that's somewhat different than the body they have, and yet there's continuity with the body that they presently have. They'll have a body that's not subject to the things that our bodies are subject to in this world, but they'll have a body that's very much a body that possessed the person, the soul and the spirit of the person that you so dearly loved. And for all eternity, we'll be together in that new heaven and that new earth with that glorified body. But before we get there, before we talk about any of that, we've got to take this little road trip. We've got to go from the resurrection of Jesus to the exaltation of Jesus Christ. And I don't know, it's like any other trip. I intend to make it in a day, but I might not make it in a day. So let's begin together on this journey at point A in verse 20. But now... In other words, after 19 verses of talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus, that's an absolute certainty. You understand that the resurrection of Jesus is central to the Christian faith. 
If there is no resurrection of Jesus, you can unravel the rest of Christianity. It's a waste of your time. It's, there's very little uh, a benefit to you whatsoever to, to following Jesus. You're just following a good man who had some moral teachings, and that's about it. But because there is the resurrection, Jesus did rise from the grave, there are some significant things that he wants us to know. Notice it. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now let's stop there for a moment. Because Christ has risen from the grave, he is the promise that every other of his children is going to one day rise from the grave. Now, all of you probably are well aware of what first fruits are. What the, first fruit, what the first fruits offering was about. At the harvest season, when the wheat would grow, at the very beginning of the growing season, when it was beginning to produce, they would go take some of the first fruits of the harvest that they would have over the course of that season. They would gather it together, and they would take it to the temple, and they would offer it as a means of sacrifice to God. And it was a matter of saying, God, thank you for what you have given to me, knowing that you have blessed me, that I have what I have, and thank you that it means you're going to bless all of the rest of what I have and what's going to come through the rest of the harvesting season. And so it, it, it evidenced a thankful heart. It evidenced a, a grateful heart and a recognition that it's God who makes it all possible. And it says Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection of all of our our loved ones who've gone before us. Jesus is the evidence. He, he's the proof. proof. Uh, here is what you need to know about what's going to happen with all of your loved ones who've passed away who knew Jesus Christ. Just as Christ rose, he's the first fruits, so everyone else is going to rise from the grave. Now, why is it necessary why is it necessary that Jesus rise from the grave? And why is it necessary for there to be resurrection of those of our loved ones? He goes on, verse 21, for since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. Oh, wait a minute. The reason that Jesus had to come from heaven to earth the reason that Jesus had to die for mankind's sins, had to be buried, had to rise again so that he could be the first fruits of what was a harvest that was yet to come is because mankind dies. By man came death. And by man, meaning Jesus, also came the resurrection of the dead. And suddenly, he takes us on a journey that takes us off the path that we're on immediately. It's like getting into a time machine. Can you imagine getting into a time machine and being able to go into the past? That's not possible. That's fantasy. If you're watching it on TV and believe it happens, we have some folks in white coats to talk with you. <laughs> but imagine with me for a moment, he's going on a a time machine kind of a journey, and he's going to take you all the way back to the very beginning. Why is it that people die? So that Jesus had to come from heaven, so that Jesus had to rise from the grave, so that he could be the first fruits of a resurrection of a great harvest of people who are going to rise one day. Why did that happen? It's because everybody dies. Verse 22. 
For as in Adam, circle the next word, all die. Even so, in Christ, all, that is, all that are in Christ, shall be made alive. Now, the problem here is that the reason there has to be a resurrection and the reason why we needed Jesus to come and be resurrected is because all of us are infected with the same problem. That is, we all are born into a world of sin, and all of us are sinners by birth. And he takes us on this time machine journey all the way back to the beginning of time, and though he doesn't mention the name Adam here, he talks about by man came death. He's talking about Adam. You remember that story? God created this incredible place called earth in a wonderful garden that was beautiful beyond your comprehension. And he put Adam in that garden. He created him from the dust of the earth. He breathed into him the breath of life. Man did not evolve. He breathed into him the breath of life, and Adam became a living soul. God looked at Adam, and he said, Adam, it's not good that you're alone. It's not good. Every other of the created beings of God, all the animal kingdom, they have male, female. It's not good that you're alone. And so he has Adam placed into a, he puts Adam into a deep sleep. He takes a rib from his side and he creates woman. Or as one preacher said, God looked at Adam and said, I can do better than that. And then he created woman. (laughs) He created Eve and he brought Eve to Adam and he performed the very first sermon and he, uh, the very first uh, marriage and he told them. Of all the trees of the garden, you can eat. Just enjoy them. Just have a, have a blast. Everything's here for you to enjoy. Eat all of it that you want except for one particular tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You are not permitted to eat from that tree. Well, you know how the story unfolds. Uh, one day Eve is in the garden and Satan tempts her and basically says, God doesn't really mean what he says, and really God's withholding from you something that you really need to have. He tempts her, and he deceives her, and she partakes of that forbidden fruit, and then she takes the forbidden fruit, and she gives it to Adam, and now Adam is not being deceived. Adam knows willfully, directly what he is doing. Adam takes of that fruit, and he joins his wife in sin, but the reality is Adam is the federal head of all mankind. All of us trace our lineage. If you could take Ancestry.com and it could take you back far enough, all the way back to the beginning, and it can't, but if it could take you all the way back to the beginning, it would take you back to the fact that we all have a common set of parents. It's Adam and Eve. And Adam is the federal head of the human race. And when Adam sinned, disobeyed God willfully, knowingly, did the opposite of what God said he was supposed to do. He plunged not only himself and Eve under the curse of sin, he plunged all of mankind under the curse of sin. And all of us are born with the nature that's like Adam. And all of us live in a world that's been placed under this curse of sin, this terrible curse of sin of sin because in Adam all die I I know you know this 
But everybody gets out of this world the same way. Unless Jesus Christ comes first, the second time, everybody's going to get out of the world the same way. At some point, our heart's going to stop beating, cancer's going to take our lives, something about us is going to not be what it's supposed to, our hearts go into cardiac arrest, an aneurysm of the brain. Something's going to happen that's going to take us out of this world. Why is it there is death in this world? Why is it there is tragedy in this world? Why is it there is disease in this world? Why is it there are reversals in this world? Why is it there, are, there is pain in this world? Why is it there are so many many tough, hard things to deal with in this world? And the answer is a little three-letter word. It's sin. S-I-N. Adam plunged all of mankind and all of creation itself. Romans 8 says, all of creation itself under the curse of sin. And consequently, all die. Uh, I think the hardest place for me to have to visit is a children's hospital. When I was a young minister as a youth pastor in Atlanta, Georgia, sometimes I was required to go to Eggleston's Children's Hospital. It's a part of the Emory University hospital system. It wasn't frequent, it wasn't often, but on occasion. We would have a child that was in Eggleston Children's Hospital, and it would be my day to visit the hospitals, and I would have to go downtown, and I'd have to go, have to go downtown, and I'd have to go to that hospital. And I'll be honest with you, I loved going for the sake of the children, smiling and laughing with them, trying to cheer them up, praying with them, trying to encourage their parents. I viewed that as a wonderful ministry that God gave me, but I want to tell you, walking through the hallways of that hospital nearly killed me. Is a young man. We have our own children's hospital, Hoops Children's Hospital. When you walk through the hallways of a children's hospital and you see sometimes sick children that are out in the hallways or you see sick children that are in the rooms, some of them with their families, some of them with very few people with them, and you walk down those hallways and you see what's going on. When you see a child suffering, there isn't much worse, much more difficult to watch than to watch a child suffer. To watch a child going through something, and you'll hear parents ask, and rightfully so, I don't accuse you for asking this question. I would be asking the exact same question. Why? Why? Why does my child have to go through this? Why are there miscarriages? Why are there stillbirths? Why are there children who have deformities? Why are there those, these difficulties and these diseases that we have to de deal with? Why do we have to have a children's hospital? Why do we have to have any hospital? Why do we have to have prescriptions? Why do we need medication? I hadn't been pastor here very long. One of the first funerals I had was for a little girl named Jessica. If I remember right, she was nine years of age. She might have been 10, but she was in that age bracket. I remember that funeral. I will never forget that funeral. I wish I could say that was the last funeral I ever had for a child, but it wasn't. It was the first of several funerals for children. 
And I go to a funeral and I look at that little casket and that little body in that casket. And I ask the same question that you ask, why? 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 I'll never forget as a youth pastor, we had a young man in, the, in our church, in our youth group called Jimmy Popovich. Jimmy was super smart. He had a younger sister. They drove to school every day. He, old enough, drove them to school every day. She rode with her brother to school every day. I got the phone call one day that he turned the corner and a car had T-boned them, and his sister was at the hospital. Jimmy was unconscious, but his sister was at the hospital on life support. Can you come? They're in our youth group. They're in the youth group that I'm leading. Can you come? And I left immediately to go to get to Henry General Hospital. It's now Piedmont General Hospital. Went immediately to get to the hospital. And I don't know how doctors and nurses do it who work behind those doors. You see what patients are going through. Thank God we have men and women who do that and who take care of us at those crisis moments of life. We love them dearly for that, for that, and we pray for them. But I walked through those doors, and there was this beautiful young teenage girl laying in this bed on life support. And I stayed with the family for a long time until ultimately they had to make the decision they were going to remove the life support. There was no brainwave. There was no life in her body. And they removed the support. And suddenly, in a matter of a few moments, she was gone from this life. And I asked the same question you asked. I asked the same question the Popoviches were asking. Why? Why? Why do we have to go through this? Why do we have to go through this kind of difficulty? Why are there wars and rumors of war? Why is there the threat of the nuclear disasters that can occur? Why is there or are there the despots of the world that rule their people with an autocracy and who will kill their own people? Why are there these kinds of things in this world? Why are there divorces? Why are there people laying in the gutter somewhere and they have to have Narcan to be able to wake them up to keep them from dying? Why are there city missions that have to take care of people who are homeless? Why? 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 And I'll never forget hearing a man whose brother had died of cancer. Somebody asked him the question, why? They thought he was struggling to understand why his younger brother, who was in the middle years of his life and had a, seemingly a long life ahead of him, why he would suddenly be gone in the fashion that he was gone. Why? And I'll never forget hearing him when he said to those who were asking the question, because we live in a world that is cursed by sin. For the wages of sin is, is death. We live in a world brought by Adam and his disobedience that passed to all of us. Adam is the federal head of all of mankind, passed to all of us this sinfulness. You don't have to teach your children how to sin. They'll pick it up on their own. Just trust me. They'll pick it up on their own. They'll pick it up from another sinner somewhere else. Or they'll pick it up from your own sins. 
We're all sinners born into this world, and we're all living in an imperfect world. It's the reason why you have school bus crashes and students are killed. It's the reason why tires blow out and turn over travel buses and numbers of people die in accidents. This isn't the new heaven and the new earth, and this isn't heaven at all. This is a world that goes all the way back to Adam that's been cursed by sin such that all of us are sinners. And I'll just be honest with you, I get disgusted with preachers who won't talk about what's the real problem. Let's just tell everybody to have a big, happy life. Everything's wonderful and good, and you can get over whatever you're going through, and life is all good. Yes, there's a lot of blessings, but you know what a person needs in a moment of crisis? They don't need an answer to why their children or their family members or whatever else was taken from them. What they need at that moment are the promises of God to hold on to because that becomes the only stable foundation and the only answer any of us can give that is a biblical answer is that we live in a fallen world. That's what... That, that's what... Uh, Paul is saying. Jesus had to come from heaven. He had to die for our sins because we are sinners. He had to die for our sins and pay the penalty for sin that we rightfully owe. He had to be buried and he had to rise again because the reality is every single one of us are going to die at some point. And if there's going to be a resurrection of our bodies to life, If there's going to be a resurrection of our bodies to life, then Jesus had to come and Jesus had to do what Jesus did so that we could be born again and be given the promises on which we stand. Take your Bible for a moment with me. Turn back to Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5. You know, sometimes you read through the genealogies and you wonder, do I really need all those genealogies? And there's always a reason for every genealogy, but here's an important one. Because Adam sinned in the garden, death passed upon all men for that all have, what's the word? Sinned. All have sinned. All of us were in Adam when Adam sinned. He is the federal head of all of mankind. All of us come from the same set of parents, Adam and Eve, who sinned in the garden. All of us have a sin problem. Why is it church members can't get along? <laughs> Why is it husbands and wives can't get along? D do you know the answer? Do you, do you know the answer? You say, well, the world is asking that question. Why, why do these things happen? The answer is really pretty simple. We live in a fallen world. We live in a world that's cursed by sin. We live in a world where all of us are sinners by birth, all of us. And the result of that is we die. And if we hope to come out of the grave, then somebody has to come and do for us what we cannot do for ourselves so that we can have the promise of life out of that grave one day. But listen to what he says. This is after Adam, verse 5. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and 
he died. Look down at verse 8. After talking about Seth, so all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. And then he talks about Enosh. So all the days of Enosh, verse 11, were 905 years, and he died. And then he talks about Canaan, verse down in verse 14. So all the days of Canaan were 910 years, and he died. You say, wait a minute, Pastor, do you believe those people lived that long? Yeah, I sure do. Not long after the creation of everything, things were different than they are today. But you know what? They were all cursed with the same thing that all of us are cursed with. They have to live in the same fallen world that all of the rest of us have to live in. This is a world that is cursed by sin. And by the way, if you don't deal with people's sins, you don't help them. You don't help them. Verse 17. So all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. And then you get to Jared in verse 20. So all the days, excuse me, Jared, over here. So all the days of Jared were 962 years. You'll take them, won't you? 962 years, and he died. Oh, then we get an exception. There's only two men that didn't die. In verse 24, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not for God took him. Who's the other man? It was Elijah. He went up in the chariot of fire. Only two men left this world without going through death, at least death as we're familiar with it. He goes on in verse 27. Methuselah was 969 years, and he died. And down in verse 31, the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. Why do we die? We die because in the Garden of Eden, Adam partook of the forbidden fruit, and God said that in the day that you eat thereof, you will die. He didn't die on the spot, but he began, he did spiritually die on the spot, but he began a process of physical death, and all of us come out of Adam. All of us are facing the same reality. All of us are moving in the same direction. All of us one day are going to die. If you don't come face to face with that and the reality of that, then you won't be prepared for when that day comes. And we all must be prepared. Back to 1 Corinthians chapter 51. He says, For as in Adam all die. But now listen to the second part of that verse. Even so in Christ all die shall be made alive. Now, I have some of my universalist friends that would like for that to say that that means everybody ultimately is going to be in heaven. That's a lie out of the pit of hell. The all in the second part of the verse is all that are in Christ. That's what the text says. All that are in Christ shall be made alive. Why did we need Jesus to come? Why did he have to die? Because of sin. Why was he buried? Because in rising from the grave, he is the first fruits of a great harvest of resurrection that's coming. And why do we need that resurrection? Because every one of us are going to die. And if we're ready to meet the Lord... We're absent from the body, and we're present with the Lord, and our bodies are put in the grave like a, like a, a kernel of, uh, of wheat that's placed in the grave. It springs forth one day with new life when Jesus calls us out of the grave. That's the promise of Scripture. That's the promise you have for your young children that passed away. That's the promise you have for your husband or your wife 
your mother or your father. Why? On the day we brought our first child home, our baby girl home from the hospital, two days after her birth, her grandfather, my wife's father, Mary, an only child, looked at her through the window at the maternity ward, couldn't wait for that evening to come so he could hold her in his arms. The big thing he was looking forward to as he left that day and he kissed his wife goodbye was tonight we're going to see our baby girl, our grandbaby girl up close and personal and we're going to get to hold her in our arms. But on the way home from work that day, he laid over in the truck, had his brothers, his brother and his father to stop the truck. He laid over in the truck and he was gone at 44 years of age. Why? Because we live in a sin-cursed world. We live in a fallen world that is not perfect. We live in a world where we have to suffer the consequences of what sin means in this world. It's the reason why we have the things that we have, but thank God we have a Savior named Jesus who came from heaven and who paid the penalty for our sins and paid the price for our sins, who was buried and who rose again. And because he rose again, there's a promise that all will rise one day from the grave. That's the promise he's given to us. And it's all because of the resurrection of Jesus. If there is no resurrection, it's like a little string that you begin to pull. If there's no resurrection, everything else just unravels. It's sort of useless. The verses prior to these, we talked about it in the message prior to this. It just all sort of unravels. Thank God for the resurrection. You say, what do I do when my loved ones pass away? What do I do when a child dies? What do I do? You run to the resurrection and to the promise that one day Jesus is going to raise every one of them from the grave. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Do you hear the good news? I've often wondered what Job must have felt like. You get the news, not that one child dies. You get the news that all ten of your children in one fell swoop are all taken from you. And they're all gone. Can I just tell you, I hate death. I hate it with a passion. Anytime I see it and I see it approaching, I hate it. I pray, that the, I pray for every doctor who treats the patients that I visit with. I pray that God gives them insight and wisdom to be able to extend their lives as far and as long as is possible. I want people to live as long as is possible, but I also know the reality that ultimately we all die. But thank God. The one who came from heaven, who gave his life for us and who rose again, is the first fruits of a great harvest of people that are going to rise from the dead. 
We're going to find out what kind of bodies they're going to come out with in a future message. But it's great news because the hope of the believer is that there is a resurrection. And you'll notice in the next phrase of verse 23, he says, but each one in his own order. Oh, what do you mean? Well, the first resurrection, there's two resurrections. The first resurrection is made up of different parts. The first resurrection begins with Jesus. The second part of this first resurrection is when Jesus comes for his church and he calls the people of God out of this world and the dead and the living are called into his presence. Then there's seven years of terrible tribulation on earth unlike anything mankind has ever witnessed or ever experienced. Read about it in Revelation. Oh, better than that, just go buy my book. unlike anything we've ever seen on this earth. But at the end of that seven years, Jesus comes a second time and he puts down all of the uprising against him, all of the enemies against him. He puts them all down. And there's a third part to the resurrection. There's Jesus. There's the church age saints. Then there's the Old Testament saints and the martyrs of the tribulation are raised from the dead. And then there's a thousand years of his kingdom And did you know that there'll be death in the kingdom? People that go into the kingdom with physical bodies alive, go into the kingdom, will have children, and they'll live much longer periods of time. Death won't be nearly as frequent as it is in the world in which we live today, but there'll still be some who will die, and there'll have to be another part of this first resurrection of those in the millennium. That's what he's saying. This is... This is point A. We're at point A. Why do we need Jesus to be risen from the grave? Why do we need a resurrection of believers from the grave? Why do we need that? Because now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, for by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive, but each one in his own order. I don't know about you. But the next thing on God's great calendar is the rapture of his church. You don't find the word rapture in the Bible, but the word, the Greek word that we give, gives us our word uh, rapture is in there. The snatching away, the catching away. And what does he say about the dead? The dead in Christ will rise. What's the word? First. The dead in Christ will rise first. And if we're alive and remain at that moment, then we'll be caught up together with them in the air to be with the Lord forever. That's the next thing. The voice of the archangel, the trump of God will sound in your little loved one or your dear mom or your dad or your brother or sister. They'll hear that trumpet and they'll come out of that grave victorious over the grave alive. That's the first resurrection. In these different phases, in these different parts, from the resurrection of Jesus to the resurrection of church age saints to the resurrection of Old Testament and tribulation saints to the resurrection of millennial saints, that's the first resurrection. But for heaven's sakes, listen to me. Please, you don't want to be a part of the second resurrection. Turn with me, if you will, back to Revelation. Chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. 
verse 5. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. That's the resurrection I just told you about. There'll be people who die during that thousand-year kingdom. He says that or this is the first resurrection. But do you see that little phrase, the rest of the dead? Those that aren't raised at the rapture of the church, those that aren't raised at his second coming to establish the kingdom, Old Testament saints and tribulation martyrs, those that aren't raised at the end of the millennial reign, those that aren't raised will be raised, but what about the rest of the dead? Those that aren't raised at one of those parts of the first resurrection, the rest of the dead. Verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead. Here they are. These are the rest of the dead. This is the second resurrection. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. Do you understand what he's telling you? Your, your, life is not, your name is not in the book of life. You never received the Lamb of God, so your name's not in the Lamb's book of life. Now you're being judged according to your works. Hell is hell no matter what part you're in, but hell will be worse for some. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The books, God's keeping a record. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. You say, Pastor, surely... People that were lost to sea can't be raised from the dead. <laughs> just hang on. I'm coming to that message. It's coming. Just, just hang on to me. It, it, I'll get there. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his worth. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Hey, you don't spend eternity in hell. Hell is a temporary place of suffering for those who have rejected Jesus Christ. At that second resurrection, you'll be brought back to life. You'll be judged at the great right throne, and you'll be thrown into what will be your eternal destiny, the lake of fire forever and forever and forever and forever and forever and forever. So for all of you who think this preacher gets too animated all, this, all of you who think this preacher tries to reach too many people, all of you who think this preacher is, is too excited about the resurrection of Jesus, do you understand? If you die without Jesus Christ, you are sentenced to hell only to be resurrected in the second resurrection and be cast into the lake of fire where you will never, ever, ever escape. So when I stand here and I beg with you, please trust Jesus. For me, it's not a joke. It's not a come on. It's not just a means of he, he wants more tithes to come in. I don't care whether you give or not. That's between you and God. I care whether you go to 
heaven or not, and whether you get to be in the new heaven and the new earth, and you get to be a part of the first resurrection. That's what I care about. I want to be able to go to the graveside with you one day. You'll go with me first. Most of you young people will go with me first. Probably for some of you, the sooner the better I go. It would make you happy. And I'm kidding. I'm, I'm only kidding. I hope I'm kidding. If I'm not kidding for you, maybe this is not the church for you. <laughs> but you're going to take my body to a grave and you're going to lay it in that grave. And I want to tell you something. It may lay there a year. It may lay there a hundred years. It may lay there a thousand years. But there's a resurrection day coming. And you know why I know that? Because Jesus Christ came nearly 2,000 years ago. He was born in Bethlehem, the sinless Son of God, born to the Virgin Mary. God come to man to live amongst us. He obeyed the law of God in every aspect. He crossed every T, dotted every I. He never sinned against God. He didn't possess the sin nature that you and I possess because he didn't have a father, a human father. He borrowed a womb But his father, the birth of Jesus was a miraculous virgin birth. He lived in complete obedience to what God demands that people live. And none of us can live there because all of us are sinners. They went to the cross. He suffered on that cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he finishes and says, it is finished. He paid it in full once and for all and forever. They put him in a grave. They seal it shut. They put guards outside. On that Easter Sunday morning, he rises from the grave. He's alive. 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 So that anybody who comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, save me. You're my only eternal hope. My only eternal. Doctors can keep me alive for a while. Only you can keep me alive eternally. Jesus, save me. I believe that eternal life is in you, and I trust you for that life right now. And at this moment, that moment, you instantaneously become a child of the living God. We're not going any further. We didn't get past the first stop on our journey. 